On today's show, Martin Sines tells us the secret to achieve higher returns and how you must scale your business to increase your success. And what exactly the three C's of successful note investing are. Let's just get right down to business. The Joe Roberts Show. This, this is The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. As a note, Invest for myself for eight years. It's great to find another trustworthy person in the sector. Martin has an MBA and MS in project management, founded a government contracting company in 2006, been a landlord since 2009, and a full-time investor since 2013. On top of that, he's authored three books on no investing and purchased over $40 million principal loan balance in the last 12 months. Martin, welcome to the show. Please give the listeners some background about yourself. Oh, goodness, Joe. I think you gave us uh, everything. Well, you know, I, I think that I have to always start with not not um, kind of the sunny side of the picture, but, uh, you know, the, the side whereby, um, you know, I grew up trying to conform to uh, societal norms, whereby, um, you know, as Robert Kiyosaki would say, get get a good, you know, get good grades, get a good paying job and, um, you know, put your head down and do as you're told and give your money away to the stock market or to Wall Street rather. And, um, you know, that that kind of chewed me up alive because uh, I found out later in life that I was a real control freak. So I had to have a lot of ownership and I had to have a lot of control over the process and when you kind of go through the school system, when you kind of go through corporate America, um, that doesn't bode well. That that's, that creates conflicts. So um, I ended up getting fired from a corporate job in that, that I held in um, with a call center in about two thousand yeah two thousand four. I got let go from the corporate job, which was really kind of weird because. Up to that point, I thought I was doing everything correctly, you know, getting the, the graduate degrees, um, you know, working hard academically, you know, putting together a good resume, trying to be a uh, what corporate America was looking for. And then I go in there a few years in. I, I um, you know, what I, the, the unit that I managed was performing well, but I got busted out because of politics and, and just all the other kind of you know, nuances that go on in corporate America. So from that point, we, you know, my wife and I just decided that we're not going to do that again. And we're going to venture out on our own for better or worse. And we did that, um, you know, full, full, full boat, you know, like my wife quit her job. I didn't have a job, obviously. Um, we used what little we had in savings and we went to town to, uh, you know, figure life out, so to speak. That's great. And at five years old, I noticed that you were selling shiny rocks to your neighbors. I mean, how did that come about? Well, uh, so five years old, I was pretty much kind of a loner growing up. K through 12, I didn't have many friends. And so I spent a lot of time by myself. And, you know, I kind of do little things. And I can't go back to what I was thinking about at five years old. However, I, I just recall picking up a bunch of shine, picking up a bunch of rocks in my front yard, cleaning them with water in a bucket, and then going door to door to the neighbor's houses, selling those rocks. And I did make money as a result. And the neighbors thought it was very cute and everything else. I know today, I don't think you want your five-year-old kind of going door to door <laughs> in the same manner. It's kind of a different world. But, you know, it's interesting. I kind of I, I wrote that um, I wrote about that in one of the books, but I did. I left out the detail. I was also as at five years old, my my mother had made me a cape and I thought I was Superman. And I was just about to jump off the second floor uh, window, jump out the window. And my mom caught me actually as I was uh, getting ready to run. So I left that story out, but I put in the shiny rocks. I guess were you watching too many TV shows at that time or what? <laughs> okay. No, I just I just thought I was Superman. That that's all. I just I just um I was just kind of playing what the character that I saw on TV. That's cool. That's cool. And so after your corporate job, um, that's when you went into your government contractor job, correct? Or company well, you started? We have my wife and I. Um, you know, we had. 
really started to self-educate ourselves with reading a number of books and attending a number of seminars. We read, you know, all, all things Robert Kiyosaki, you know, all the great motivational speakers, Les Brown, Jim Rome, um, you know, and we just we actually traveled around to different real estate seminars and just learning as much as we can. We started a few companies like a pet pet uh, walking business and some other companies, but they weren't scalable. So we just kind of put pushed them to the side. And then we landed on government contracting as an option for ourselves for one specific reason. We um, we really set, decided that we want to go sell to the largest buyer of goods and services in the world, and that is the federal government still today. We're going through, uh, as you're going through those different startups or different companies, was that just a little trial and error period for yourself or just finding what you guys were more passionate about? Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was trial and error and, and, um, but not just so much what we're passionate about. We, we kind of learned that, you know, what's practical, right? There's like one thing about passion. So many people are passionate and broke and (laughs) we wanted to be, you know, practical and paid. (laughs) So we kind of went, and then, and then I think, you know, some other, some people have written about this and about the idea, if you're practical and paid, then you'll learn to be passionate and love it. And um, so we decided to uh, uh, sell to the federal government. And I don't think anyone says that they have a passion to sell to the federal government. (laughs) And they're, uh, they're, they're the most bureaucratic entity you could ever imagine and the amount of paperwork and bureaucracy matches what you're providing them in terms of goods and services. So you have to kind of be prepared for that. And what uh, prompted the decision to sell that company? Well, we um, we brought it to the height um, in terms of revenue in 2012. And we decided that that um, we really wanted more freedom of time. So we kind of get into small business. We got into small business ownership with the intention of obtaining financial freedom, which everyone talks about. It's the big buzzword. And what you realize is you're kind of trading your, your time for uh, you're trading in a lot of time for money. So yes, you're your own boss However, you're working 80 hours, 100 hour work weeks and traveling around the country and just kind of being um, not not working on yourself spiritually, not working on yourself health wise, but, you know, making money. Yes, but at a significant cost. And at that time, we it was a time period for us where we started buying real estate. We start we bought the building that we operated out of. We bought the neighboring building space. We started buying residential properties in the area. So we, we started shifting gears in terms of our action plan. We said, well, look, we, we want to be more passive investors. We want to move towards that field because all of us have seen and known, you know, the auto mechanic that, you know, buys the auto body shop and never grows the business because he's too busy working on the vehicles himself. And then he, you know, 20 years down the road, he's broken tired and, and trying to salvage, you know, what he can from it. Uh, you know, Michael Gerber, E-Myth, that kind of thing always touches on that. And so I, I saw in the course of being a small business owner, which I very much am today, I've seen so many business owners go down that road 10, 20 years you know, they get they get stressed out. They spend all the money and their business isn't really worth something. So I said, I'm going to sell at the peak and then I'm going to find what it is I'm looking for, which is more a, a emphasis and value on time than it is on money. Got it. So after you sold that, how did you get a transition into note investing? How did you hear about it? It's a it's a two part. It's a two part answer. So the. um what um, what what I was doing during the time I was selling the company is I was attending local uh, RIAs, you know, real estate investment clubs in the D.C. area. And we had someone come to town to present on note investing. 
and I took their satellite workshop, which was their Saturday workshop. I um, attended a three-day workshop from there. So I got my first initial formal uh, real estate in, um, investing education that way. But also, uh, having sold the company, we were in the process of selling, selling a tail of our business note to someone who became a mentor for me down the road. His name is Marty Granoff. He's still very much a mentor to me. So um, it's a two-part answer. I was in the process of building a mentorship with someone that I was bringing value to. And I I didn't realize it at the time, but I was also, I also had received that initial formal training enough to wet the whistle and, and really convince me that this is the way to go. It's real estate based but it's not um, intensive based and there's an element of passive income as, as, um, as a result of note investing. But boy, did I learn later down the road that, that there's very little passive about note investing. It's so active and hands on. It's unreal to do it well. Yeah. Especially if you're uh, purchasing non-performing loans, right? I mean, it's a full-time job. I mean, I think people don't uh, always realize that the higher the return or the higher the yield someone wants to get on their money, you know, it always it always takes more work, right? Absolutely, that that's that's that couldn't be more true. To do it correctly, now, um, it, you know, to do it on a larger scale where you're making good money over the course of time and you have sustainability, it, it requires a whole infrastructure, a whole commitment of your time and resources. But if you're going to do it and dabble, then, then you know, the chances of success, I think, are diminished at that point. But, um, but uh, to do it right, you have to put in the time, like anything else, right? So what, what type of loans are you investing in? And what is note investing? So note investing is... Um, it is the, you know, I have kind of a two responses to that. You can do, you can note invest two ways. You can buy a performing note that has already been created and receive cash flow on an ongoing basis. So similar to the business note that I sold to Marty Granoff, he, from day one of purchasing that note, he or tail of the note rather, he received monthly income. So that's one way of note investing. And I know people will hear the other way and they're going to be like, well, why don't I just buy a performing? Well, that's, that's probably a whole different webinar. And, 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 uh, and, and, you know, I'll just leave it at that. So the, the note investing that I primarily focus on, and I know you do as well, is non-performing note investing. So that's when you buy a distressed note whereby the borrower has not made a payment in 90 plus days and in many cases a few years and you work with that borrower to come to the table and and negotiate a payment plan that works for that individual so they can resume making payments or they can go pay you off or you know there's other kinds of exits that occur so but in in most cases the golden goose is to receive monthly income and if you do that, then you create a performing asset that you can sell later or you can keep for ongoing cash flow. Cool. What are the three C's of a successful note investing? So, <laughs> Joe, did you read the book? Nice. Note investing fundamentals. So, so, uh, so three C's of note investing is uh, first one is creation. I, I place a lot of emphasis. I think this is probably the most overlooked part of note investing is that is that you really have to sit down and create a plan that's going a viable business plan that's going to map out how you're going to progress in the note space. So you know, uh, you know how how do you plan on operating from an identity perspective? You know, what are your buying parameters? What are your vendors that you're going to use? What's your due diligence process? All that needs to be mapped out and understood. 
Because if you, uh, you know, otherwise you'll run into trouble. And I kind of see this with, uh, like I'm listing, um, I'm listing about 20 notes on paper stack right now, 20, 30 notes. And I get questions like, why should I buy this note? Or have you talked to the borrower lately? Or what's the rent payment? And it's not even, there's no, it's not a rent. It's not a rent payment situation. It's a mortgage note with a borrower payment. So, so I feel for those individuals because I know that um, they will probably pick up some notes and get busted out because they haven't focused on the creation phase of things. And then I, and then once you have things mapped out and you really start getting momentum, then you need to put controls in place. And that is really all the things, you know, metrics, what type of reporting that you're going to view on an ongoing basis. If, if I panned out in my office right here, I mean, I track everything from, number of people that signed up for uh, a training class that I have to, to um, when, when sale dates are for foreclosure sales, when tax lien, um, sa tax lien sales are occurring and money's due, what my are uh, reperforming, um, you know, percentage collected rate is, what number of loan modifications are, are um, you know, what, what, how many loan modifications I'm anticipating for the month. Um, I even had, I'm going to be on, uh, I'm having Grant Cardone on my podcast program next month. And I even have that as a goal that getting Grant Cardone was actually a goal for someone to go tee up for me and they achieved it. Uh, so that's like the power of goals. And, and it's not even, it's goals or like, I don't know, maybe goals equal controls or something, you know, cheesy like that. But, but truly you need to have. Um, metrics around everything you do and you need to review those metrics on, on an on or monitor or however you want to call it on an ongoing basis and if you do creation and control correctly then and, and you do it on an ongoing basis while you're refining all the time then you will you will receive cash flow which is the third C so cash flow being a result so uh, it's weird because cash flow is the hook, right? So many people, they come to our space and they're like, oh, you can get this ROI. You can get, you know, IRR is this, cash on cash, you know, and all, it's all sexy, right? And it's like, oh, you know, I just buy a few notes and, and you know, hammer on the bar and, 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 and then I'll, I'll, make, I'll make a million bucks. It's like, no, no, that, that's just the result of doing so much work so well over such a period of time, then you'll get the cash flow. So you mentioned paper stack. Yeah, I don't, I love those guys. So, so don't. What, what is paper stack? Oh. oh, I'm sorry. It's an online exchange for, uh, for note sales. And uh, so it's just a play. It's like a flea market for note sales. So you, you can go on, um, you can sell notes, you can buy notes. Cool. In a very structured uh, format. And if we need any money, we got Steve here. He's offering. <laughs> Steve, you better come with your A game if you're going to go to Steve Lloyd for some money. That's that's all I got to say. And you better factor in cost of capital, right? I think what is what's Steve at? Four percent? What's he charging now? <laughs> I know the market changed. He's looking at the shack. Uh, you know, 10 blocks back from the beach and only putting money out at 4%, right? Is that what we're <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Steve, Steve's going to hate on us later for that. So I mean, where else besides Paperstack can people find loans to buy in this market? Yeah, um, you can go to, I'm selling loans. I mean, you can reach out to me. Um, I can, um, you know, what's uh, loanexchange.com is FCI Exchange's new platform. You can always go to Val, who doesn't love Val at Watermark Exchange, and and see him. And and so what's interesting is um, with in terms of exchanges, I know it's kind of like um, people in the space they view it as a retail setting. However, I do think it's a good place to go if you're starting to buy notes, and and you you should look for low principal balance loans. And, uh, you know, to start out of the gate. So that way you don't go all in too heavy with, with capital investment. My first purchase was 240K. 
And, you know, kind of looking back now, it's like, I wish I would have uh, practiced on a few lower principal balance loans versus uh, buying, you know, 10 dogs in Ohio that, um, you know, that, that had all kinds of issues, I, I can tell you. People are sometimes a little impatient, right? And you just wanted to jump in and just get rolling, I, I guess. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, th- I, was, I thought uh, I was arrogant, I thought I knew everything. I thought um, I thought that I was such a successful business owner. I was a you know successful landlord because I picked up a few properties. Uh, I I went through note school um, again, t- poly tying back to control freak, right? So I'm like, I got this. I you know I don't need anything. And it's interesting, kind of looking back, that the the person who came has a large training outfit for notes. And I didn't feel like their mentorship program was for me. I felt it was a little, um, uh, you know, a little bit big box for me, kind of one size fits all. And I'm glad I didn't take that training because um, everyone's very unique and, and needs to chart out their own unique course. However, I wish there was more, um, and I said this on my program the other day, you know, like Bill McCafferty and, you know, quality individuals that offer training in a very customized fashion, because there's a need for that in this industry. And training is not easy. So, so for those like think like, oh, I'm going to buy some notes and make a million dollars. Well, training is not like I'm going to go train some people and make a million dollars. There's a whole taxing element to training as well. Cool. And so, so your bio mentions turning non-performing notes into 30 year income streams. Is that yeah. still applicable? 100%. So um, just in March 13th of this year, Pre-COVID or, you know, right at COVID, (laughs) uh, we, uh, my partner and I, we launched a $50 million income fund because the idea is that, yes, we're still going to be leaning on private capital to, to um, do, uh, I'm trying to, I want to use the verbiage, but I can't, um, to buy non-performing note pools. And we're still going to do that and do that to our, the best of our ability, but then we're going to sell those loans into an income fund so that we retain those 30 years, uh, 30 year flows of income. And obviously 30 years is, is an arbitrary, right? Cause you know, you might get paid off in seven years or something like that. But the whole point is if you, if you continue to buy on an ongoing basis and continue to work out these loan modifications with borrowers, then you will have a 30 year flow of income. Do you think with rates so low, we'll see the duration of loans last longer? So um, duration of loans, like you mean like defaulted paper? No, before the borrower pays off. Like, do you think people will stay in their homes a lot longer because the interest rate on loans that they're getting these days are so low? Yeah, yeah. Um, we're we're seeing a lot of refinances because of the interest rates where they're at. However, you know, Fannie and Freddie are increasing uh, their requirements, uh, the underwriting requirements. So, you know, the lending pract- lending standards are getting uh, tightened. So, um, you know, it's 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 interesting. I mean, it's just like two Americas being created before our eyes here and you'll see, you know, so it depends which, which America your note resides almost to see, will they pay you off? Will they go to the bank and get the refi to get the lower interest rate or do they, are they locked into their home like a renter? That's good. Do you think we're seeing more origination in the market? Actually, um, I don't know. Because um, that's really not uh, a side of the fence that I emphasize. I think that if lending standards get, um, you know, more tightened, where they're going to increase the FICO scores and other, and, and maybe lower um, the, the uh, debt to income ratios and do all that kind of thing, then then yeah, there's going to be more seller finance, but. I'm not sure how big seller financing will grow outside like uh, 100, 150K fair market value properties. I, I mean, if you're talking like 300K property, 
you know, all, most likely they're not, seller financing is not going to hit that, that area. But what is seller financing? So um, basically it is, it is uh, when you buy a property, the, the person or entity that's selling you the property will take back a loan to, so that you can buy the property. So they are acting as the bank as the mortgage lender for you to buy that property versus you having to go to a third party to obtain financing to buy the property. Got it. And now that's been about 60 days in quarantine. What have you been doing with your time? I've been doing, um, I've been, I've been ramping up my productivity. Um, that's, that's first and foremost. I can tell you that, uh, um, you know, instead of going to the gym, which is what I do about three days a week, I have the personal trainer come to my house. So I'm maintaining nor- normalcy as best as possible and, and, you know, watching my diet and everything else. And and so on, that's kind of on a personal level. Uh, also, too, we homeschool our four children. So um, being at home is not you know, un- unique for us, unique for my wife. It's um, it, it kind of stinks. We can't go get a babysitter and go out and have some drinks at night and do some other things. But for the most part, it's not much of a change. We just purchased a building space two weeks ago that we're having a whole build out done on. And we're going to move our our practice, our, our company into that space. So from a from a goals in aspirations um, perspective, we're, we're continuing with all our objectives as if COVID didn't exist. However, we're being much more careful with how we proceed. So that, that's kind of one thing. So, so that's, that would be what I would just mention is everyone just needs to keep their goals and be more diligent about obtaining their goals, re- reaching their goals and setting, you know, new goals for themselves. Cause now's not a time to be, you know, reverting back or giving in to, you know, little voices in your head, demons or whatever you want to refer to them. Now's the time to really maintain positivity because it's not just for yourself. It's for everyone around you that, that needs it right now. So that's just my soapbox. What are the good things coming out of this for you and your family? I'd say focus and increased in focus. So prior to COVID, it was just nonstop balls to the wall with, with everything we were doing, um, purchasing a lot of non-performing notes, uh, growing our staff and, and, and just kind of building this out to something much larger than it is right now. And then creating the income fund, which we still did anyway. And so what it made us do is say, say, hey, look, we can't take these loans that we've modified for granted. We have to look at these from a customer service perspective and monitor the heck out of them to make sure that their performance is what it needs to be. And so, um, you know, if someone's a little behind, we're going to do reach out. So a lot of TLC. So it made us kick the customer service angle to our business up to higher levels. And also, too, in terms of monitoring additional metrics that we weren't doing before. Now, like we're reviewing, um, you know, we're looking daily at at uh, foreclosure sales that we have going on because they're moving. Right. Because they're getting postponed. Courts are are closed. They're semi opening now. So we are we're monitoring that that flow, that progress for all our notes in terms of getting to the foreclosure sale. So you're working on streamlining operations at this time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, A lot more outreach I'm doing. I I am. um, committed. I've been doing a lot more Zoom calls, a lot more peer connections. I've set up some some uh, calls with some industry experts where we're doing some Zoom calls together to get an understanding of what everyone else is doing. So it's not just what I'm doing in my own little world, in my own little head. It's what is everyone else experiencing and what is everyone else doing that's working well? 
So if you fill your day with, you know, your goals, staying positive, you know, listening to Jim Rome, whatever the heck you got to do to stay positive, reading Steve Lloyd posts, you know, on an hourly basis, whatever you got to do to stay positive, um, you know, so many people are counting on you and it's your obligation to, to, to maintain that. Also from a growth perspective, it's your, if it like Joe, you're out there, you know, people know you, people respect what you have to say. So you have to be a model for these individuals. You know, your, your partner, uh, Bill McCafferty and some, uh, and some business ventures, you know, he's got to be a model for other people. And I think that's what we need is more models. And the more you kind of, you know, engross yourself in that kind of behavior and activity, the less negativity. I have zero room for negativity in my life. I, I don't, I don't, I don't accept it. I don't receive it from anyone else. I don't spend time with anyone who's negative. It's just would not, it doesn't enter my day whatsoever. However, I still got some little demons in my head that uh, still kind of trigger off. So I'm, I'm work in progress that way. Sometimes you have to get it under control. But what, from a collection standpoint, what are you seeing in the last 60 days? Uh, we're, we're at 92.4% collected for May, which is phenomenal. So what that means is um, you take uh, 100 borrowers and, and, uh, and 92 are paying, 100 borrowers that are paying us, 92 are paying on time. And it's, it's kind of um, accepted to be at 90% and above. Now that's under normal circumstances. In COVID, there's some people that are expecting dips down to 85 to 80% collected. So that's 80 people paying out of 100. So we're at 92.4, which we just put together the numbers yesterday. So I'm, I'm really ecstatic. However, I'm not naive. You know, we're far from this whole thing getting past us. So, uh, you know, we're just going to maintain diligence on, on, our, on our metrics with things. Is there any tips or conversation you're having with your borrowers to help maintain them paying throughout the rest of the year? Well, it's interesting. We're, we're talking, well, for one thing, we're talking to borrowers on the non-performing side and we're having more difficulty with those individuals. We're doing less agreements right now, less modifications because of COVID and bars for whatever reason, bars lost their jobs or they're, or they're using it. They're using it, um, you know, as leverage, what have you, I don't know. But in terms of the reperforming bars, uh, you know, it's really a testament to how well you built the relationship when you did the agreement. Because these are all agreements that I crafted myself. I have two asset managers they crafted, Sean crafted, whomever. And so we know these bars. So we've built relationships where they should feel comfortable reaching out. But we've heard, um, you know, we've heard some, some folks that just, you know, are down on income and we're doing a uh, 30 day evaluations with them, getting some supporting documents and, and working with them. We are absolutely working with them. However, um, what we're finding, and I'm very surprised by this is that we're hearing from some folks that they're getting paid more on unemployment than they were with the regular jobs and they don't want to go back to the regular jobs. So like even, um, you know, my personal trainer, he doesn't want to go back to the gym. He's getting paid more now doing some side gigs for cash unemployment. Plus with, uh, I think Trump did some bump on unemployment. So they get an extra 600 a, a week, something like that. So um, for folks that are getting paid more, I think it's uh, that's going to be a tricky thing. And, and we're finding a lot of people are just getting paid still in telecommuting, working out of home. Are you guys just maintaining everybody on their regular payment plan? Or are you trying to work out any discounts or any maybe greater, larger upfront payments for the rest of the year or anything just in, in case that uh, they can't make the payments later? Well, you know, there's a whole... Yeah. So, no, there's a whole cost to business. So, so, um, you know, unless, unless there's a Joe Robert subsidy going on that I don't know about, you know, everyone, you know, needs to make payments. I'm making all my payments and, uh, and I, and I will continue to do that. So uh, it's just expected that bars, you know, keep their agreements as, as scheduled. Now do you think, 
uh, COVID will change borrowers' habits moving forward? Uh, I think for certain sections. So, again, I think there's two Americas, and I think for one side of America, yes, I think there'll be more, um, I think there'll be more, uh, you know, moratoriums with governors that are, you know, kind of flexing their muscle, more, um, you know, court cases that delay um, foreclosure filings and evictions. And then I think for the other side of America, for the other America, I think it'll just be business as usual. And do you have any fear of any governments cramming down any mortgages or, you know, anything that can have you lose money? I think it'll be I think it'll be done if and when it's done. It'll be done for Fannie and Freddie backed loans. Got it. And so that's a whole other it's a whole other discussion. Right. I mean, what uh what really disgusts me is not even something disgusts me more than politicians out there today. And and that's hard to do. And that is JP Morgan and these other banks that are doing, running these PR campaigns saying how horrible it's going to be because they're going to be looking for hundreds of billions of dollars of bailout money very soon. And, and, and they disgust me. <laughs> is that what you think it is? An yeah, advertisement? I think it is. I think it's one big advertisement. I think they're stirring up the waters. I think politicians are in it. And, uh, and I think they'll gladly stroke checks every which way. Interesting. So I guess having the right mindset through all this is very important, right? Yes. And um, mindset and actions, right? I think especially related to uh, customer service and being, you know, relationships are ever, ever so much, uh, you know, more critical today. I think that's really the whole, if it all came down to something, it would come down to now is the time to, you know, reinvent yourself to re refocus yourself on relationships. If you haven't in the past, because if you have great relationships all around, that's going to carry you through. Definitely on the home front and business. Yeah. Yeah. Relationships with, um, with sellers, right? Because you should still continue to be buying. If you're a professional investor and you're a long-term player, should be buying and but you should be also explaining to your sellers that you're not going to pay ludicrous pricing <laughs> yeah right now it seems to be a little bit of gap between what a buyer is willing to pay and what a seller is willing to discount from two months ago right yeah well the thing is there's uh there's uh, so there's two americas there's actually two note pools out there and now so the notes that are grade a with, with awesome equity coverage and all, you know, all the other variables are, are grade A. Those are still top dollar because there's so much money buying for those. But the ones that are riskier, like certain, you know, within certain states or equity coverage, th- those are getting dogged on pricing right now. So, so there's been a split. Before COVID, everything was just priced high. <laughs> I think a lot of people just were buying the ones were not great, right? Because they thought they would just do well anyway with the market. Is that the assumption there? Yeah, I can't get into the mind of, um, I, I mean, if I, I'd have to think back when I started and I, I mentor a bunch of people, so I kind of see their perspective. Sometimes it's just excitement and emotion that it drives people to, to buy. They're not thinking about it methodically kind of math and all they're just like they're just like i learned this great new um you know i did learn this great new um business endeavor i just want to go buy notes as soon as possible and that was me by the way i was just excited green and i just i thought i knew what i was doing and i went out and bought junk with 240k and so um that's all I would just advise anyone going out initially to buy, you know, I recommend getting formal training wherever it is. I know like on Facebook, it's so popular to go and bash training and I know it's fun, you know, but uh, at the end of the day, you know, I would have paid handsomely for someone that knew what they were doing to mentor me because this industry is so easy to lose money. It's unreal. 
So what is note investing made easier to do? So um, note investing made easier. So this is from a book that I wrote in 2017 and that I thought no one would read. And it came out and still selling well. And from that, um, prior to note investing made easier, I was just in my own little bubble, buying notes, working them out, making a living uh, on a full-time basis. And, and, you know, from, from once the book came out, then I started to get popular, which was a real weird, I've never been popular in my life. So it was kind of a weird feeling that like people wanted to know me. <laughs> so, so then it was like, cool. Why would you want to know me? I just want to head down, make some money and be on my way. But anyways, from that, I started trainings and, and, and then I, and, and, Years into it, I formed three pillars for note investing made easier. And the first pillar is a being a large buyer of junior lien paper, which is essentially second mortgage non-performing notes. The second pillar is running a training academy whereby I train a only a handful of people and mentor only a handful of people. It because at the end of the day, it's my belief training's only done well on a very custom small level. I don't, I don't, I, I haven't seen a mass training program that I think is real effective because it's everyone's unique and everyone has unique paths they need to create for themselves. And then the third pillar is thought leadership is uh, I'm continuing. I'm, I'm working on my fifth book right now and um, it's, it's non note related. That's cool. And, and so, yeah, so thought leadership. So those are the three pillars for known investing made easier. Your tagline is creating colleagues one student at a time. Do you have one-on-one with all your students? Yeah. So I do, I do, we do a small group setting. We meet up on a weekly basis. We collaborate online and I also do one-on-one interaction with them. And again, to do that, uh, you need to be, you can only do that on a small level without pulling, you know, whatever hair I have left out of my head, because it's, it's almost like, um, when you're training someone, you have to step into their mind. And if you already have enough chaos and enough going on in your mind and to think like to multiply that by six, then, you know, that you can understand that, that there's, there's only so much you can do where you're doing it effectively. So I think it is good on a small level. I noticed you have over 2,500 members in your Facebook group. Why so much interest in investing in notes, you think? Um, I think it's uh, it's curiosity, right? So, so if people come in from different perspectives. Some people want to come in passive and they just want to see how they can deploy their capital. Some people want to come in to broker. They don't have much money, so they just want to play the broker game and find out how to how to kind of break off a piece of action for themselves. Some people are looking for true life reversal for themselves and, and, and want to truly commit a life where they're free with time and money and everything else. So you have the, those kinds of serious actors. And then you have some people that, you know, think they're ready for it, but they're just not sure. And they're kind of dabbling around. And then, but at the end of the day, I really think there's a strong sense for online community within the note space because so much of us are spread out throughout the whole country. And, and so it's not like you're in some office building where you have 100 peers that are circulating around you and they're like, hey, Joe, it's casual Friday. You want to go kick it and, and go, you know, TGIFs for lunch? And you go out for a two hour lunch, you know, feeling frisky because you you got an extra hour in and then you go and talk. So what do you guys talk about? You talk about work, right? How this boss is a jerk, how that Susie doesn't know what she's doing and this. And that. You don't have that camaraderie with note investing. You have you have Joe in his office, you know, you know, thinking about what he needs to press on next to go squeeze some juice. And, and that's where you have you have many Joes out around the country that are that are just thinking about how they need to grow their business. We have a question. Buying, holding or selling. What is your timeline? And he, here sellers are now holding for three months. 
I holding holding uh hey Gene, how are you, brother? Um timeline in terms of what? Like seasoning for RPLs or or what do you think? I guess it seems like he's asking maybe what is the business plan at the moment between buying, holding, and selling? And it seems like he's getting feedback that sellers are holding off coming to the market for a few more months. Oh, I see. Um, if that's the case, Gene, I can tell you that there's pool after pool being released right now. There's there's uh, there's a flood of activity now. Everything is, and I know Gene, you've been doing this a while, so so you 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 know kind of the lay of the land. There there are there are uh, um, two types of no communities. We're on the two two themes, so let's just roll with it, right? There there are there are players that are have. Re- formed relationships in place whereby they see inventory flowing to them on a regular basis because they're deemed credible buyers and 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 there's and and they're just seeing a lot of activity right now and then there's a no community that's on the lower lower end maybe more in the retail setting and they probably are seeing hit and miss action right now and they're not seeing that steady flow of activity we got another question. Do you suggest here no beginners focused on specific states or take down a pool of the prices right regardless of the geography? So that's a great question, Ellis. <laughs> so I have I have almost two answers to that. Um, so I I think the best thing to do is to is to not so much focus on the state. Focus on the UPB size, the unpaid principal balance size, and go out and buy. And you, Joe, you've never you'll, you you're hearing this first here, Joe. This is a, this is an exclusive right now. We're hitting on. I recommend buying your first few notes at retail pricing, right? So no one's going to tell you that. Everyone buy low low UPB notes at retail pricing. Now, why? Because I've seen so many people that have trouble with momentum and and they and because they're looking for the perfect note. You could be in this business 20 years and you're not going to find the perfect note. So why are you trying to do it in 20 days? <clears throat> so if you focus on buying a low UPB note, it's not going to break the bank. And furthermore, if you buy it at retail pricing, it's not going to break the bank. And, and so, but what it will give you is momentum. Now, if you do buy in judicial states, longer lead time states, I do recommend you, you need to gear up for a second buy, whereby, so that way you have more assets in the pool and, and you have more probability of some workouts and some positive results occurring. But um, unless state specific, and uh, and but if you do buy in long lead time states like New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut and so on, Illinois, uh, you should look to buy another another note or two in the near future. That's good. So how often do you hold your workshops? So uh, I'm having my first workshop this year and uh, in June 5th and 6th, we're doing it virtually. And um, you can get information on my at noteinvestingmadeeasier.com, the website, or you can go to the Facebook group and get some information. I'm kind of running some early bird specials that way. And this is what I will say. I, I get, I'll, and I'll, this is all I'm going to say on the training. I give everything. I give all my resources, all my vendors, all my processes. I cover sourcing, which most people don't want to cover because because most people don't want to cover and, and due diligence and asset management. But with that said, I am going to tell you that that if I could do this over again and I, there was a me around when I started, I would have taken my workshop and I would take Bill McCafferty's workshop because <clears throat> there's there, there are different approaches and, and, and anybody, the first litmus test is, is this person doing this as a full-time basis? Are they feeding their family doing this? I see so many people, they're running groups, they're running training and they work, you know, I don't know, they work as a teacher, McDonald's or whatever the heck. They, this is their side hustle. 
but yet they're 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 putting it out there like like they're you know whatever i don't i'm not judging and i don't talk negative because i don't even focus on anything negative but that should be your first question to anyone who you're looking for training do you feed your family on the same process you're going to teach me to feed my family with and just leave it at that. See what they say. Be like, no, I work a nine to five and, you know, I hit this hard seven to 8 p.m. every night. No, no. So, so, and then, so I make my living on, on buying non-performing notes and converting them to performing assets. I do that as my primary focus. And I did that years prior to writing the books and um, putting out the training and, and I, and Bill McCafferty, you know, more years than myself. So, uh, take multiple trainings. There's so much money to be. Okay. So everyone focuses on the money to be made. So much money to be made, right? ROIs, so sexy. Um, but you need to focus on the money to be lost. <laughs> what is the potential of losing a lot of money? And it's, and it's very easy to lose a lot of money in note investing. So why not put out a few thousand for this guy, that gal, and, and go get yourself equipped as best you can so you don't lose money. That's a good way. That's my rant on training. Well, your June workshop, will that be online? Or is that going to be a person? What are you going to do there? Yeah, it's online, and I'm capping it out at 15 uh, participants because uh, I've never done a training. <clears throat> the the um, – the largest training I've done is with 14 people in, in person. And I think that was too much. So I, I, I limit it to 10 people. And um, I've even done back-to-back trainings, like back-to-back weekends where I've done trainings just so I don't do more than 10 people. And um, that's because otherwise I, I like to get to know people and, and have it interactive. And I, I think that's, that's helpful. All right, we got another question from that. Will note pricing go, get down to 2008 levels? <laughs> We're both shaking our head. That's like saying, is real estate going to go back to 2008 levels? It's just not, I, don't, I just don't see it out there by any means. I would say with the junk assets. Yes, <laughs> they're probably there now. <laughs> Geographic location, you know, location of a, you know, a piece of real estate is just as, much equally important on the note side, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I think the fundamentals are stronger now. So I think there'll be um, more likelihood of a bounce back. Um, 08, you know, all, all kinds of wrong things happening in the secondary space. There was a, you know, there's a housing shortage now in most of the country. So I think that's going to help, you know, drive back uh, some momentum, not being naive that this is all going to be rosy in a few months. I'm not saying that, but these sellers, you know, they're, they're thinking like that, I I believe for the most part. So they're going to let out some, like they do, like sellers do, they're going to put out pools and there's going to be a few good ones and a lot of junk. (laughs) And, and and that's going to kind of continue but, but the um, ones, the notes where the, there's lower FMVs, fair market values, <clears throat> the notes were on the junior lien side where there's less equity coverage, those are going to lower in price because um, we're about to see a wave of bankruptcy like, like we've never seen. Yeah, what do, you think, what do you think about that? Do you think uh, we're going to have another session of cram downs on the seconds or what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. I do. I think I think it's going to be I think there's a they're even uh, talking about recruiting uh, bankruptcy attorneys out of law school. Now they're like gearing attorneys out of law school to go, uh, you know, do bankruptcy filings. Yeah, I think it's going to be a a heyday. They're going to they're going to make a killing. And like every like everything else, Joe, you know this like I know this. Uh, it's so inc- it's incredibly sad in our industry that so many borrowers file bankruptcy and think that they don't owe the money at the end and they don't realize how it all goes down. They don't realize there's still a valid lien on the property and, and, and they're, and they're blown away and they're very sincere and truthful when they tell us, I mean, we, we know when we're, when they're sincere and, uh, and that's what happens. Bankruptcy attorneys are just taking a 4k check. <clears throat> we're getting paid through the trustee 
and they're and they're just filing that paperwork and uh, and being on their way, and they're not giving a full education to the bars as to the as to the bankruptcy process. So tell us about your latest book, Note Investing Fundamentals. Yeah, so um, that's that. It, it is what it kind of says. It is. I mean, it's. Um, you know, I think what what kind of inspired me to write it was just that there's so much emphasis on on the returns. There's so much emphasis on on the cake and very little on getting yourself formally set up so that you have success. That that whole planning phase, that whole mapping out, that whole building of your resources building of your, your uh, standard operating procedures, you know, journaling your activities so, so that you have a story, you're building your story from a branding perspective. All that's so important to do out of the gate. So the one thing I emphasize with anyone that I talk to, anyone that, that, I, that I coach, is I let them know, do not buy a note in the first 30 days. Because that's what I was noticing. People, you know, take a workshop and and they're getting all happy and they go out and they want to buy a note off of a paper stack or somewhere and they don't really quite know what they're buying. It's like, no, no, there's so many other important things you need to do to set yourself up as a note business, not as a note investor. So if you want um, sustainability, if you want to be here for the long term, you need to have a business. And you need to be thinking about virtual assistance and, 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 you know, getting your spouse on board, you know, to put in a few hours or, you know, getting, putting your kids to work, you know, whatever the case you need to be, or, or hiring a 1099. Um, you know, I, I've met so many people and they're like, <clears throat> they're like, Oh, I'll go buy a $50,000 note or $20,000 note or what have you, but I'm not going to go pay someone $15 an hour as a 1099 to go do X, Y, Z for me so that the chances of my success are greater as a result. And it's just, that's just flawed thinking. You need to be putting together together a business where you're just, you're shooting for the moon. Well, how are you guys on here? (laughs) <laughs> you gotta, you gotta meet him, Joe. You, you guys are, he's like your Israeli uh, twin. <laughs> very methodical, very, 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 always thinking. Well, any other thoughts you want to leave us with as we come to a close? No, I, yeah, I'll just, I'll just reemphasize that there should be zero negativity going on in, in everyone's mind right now, and the only way to do that is to fill yourself with so much activity. Uh, be planning, you know, every day, every day I plan my day the day before my day happens. And, and, and then um, that's just something I've been doing for years. And, um, you know, planning and action, planning and action that will keep the devil away from you. That will keep, you know, the negativity away from you. Cut everyone who's negative around you out of your life. That That's that's all I can say. Well, I like that. Thank you for coming on today. What is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Uh, you can uh, visit noteinvestingmadeeasier.com. You can um, join the Facebook group, Note Investing Made Easier, the group, not the business page. Hey, Jose, how are you? And and, and you can uh, and you can check check out Grant Cardone. I'll be interviewing him next month. And um, I want to try to drop Joe Robert name in there because Joe and I. So here's the thing, right? Joe over here hit me with the 10x action. It was last year. It was 2019. I was I was, you know, thinking like uh, I was thinking like a small person. And and I and I was going to I was going to go to Grant Cardone his 10X conference. And then I said, no, I'm too busy. I don't have time. You know, uh, there would be inconvenient, right? So then Joe hit me up like the day before the conference. And he's like, hey, brother, you coming to 10X? Because I put it out there that I was t- coming, me and my big mouth. And then and then I'm like, you know what, Joe? That's the wake up call, man. You you just you just 10X me, man. And, and so I so, uh, got on the plane and Joe and I spent a, a fun weekend together with uh with uncle g so that, that was cool man that was such a great weekend can't wait to meet up with you again in person thank you for doing this interview for us martin and providing everyone with some rock 
solid information. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life. The Joe Roberts Show. The Joe Roberts Show. Joe Robert Show.